We are uh, in our kind of our fourth and final uh, series or, or sermon in the series of looking at our vision statement, and we have uh, new banners on the wall there. And today we're, we're dealing with that last one. Everything sounds so spiritual, worship God, love neighbors, make disciples, and then we get to that last one, and you're thinking, how does that one fit? And I'm hoping that this morning I'll be able to explain to you how that one fits. And, and also give you a perspective of how these all work together. Uh, so let's start by looking at our EFC logo. Uh, that's our logo. It happens to be a compass. That's what it is. It's a compass uh, centered on Christ and the cross pointing to God. Okay, That, that has to be our compass in life. Uh, focusing on God. He's the one that sets our course for us. Uh, that's... If we don't start there, we're, we're starting at the wrong place. And, and our reading of Scripture, as well as our faith walk, needs to be two things. It needs to be Christocentric. So when we read Scripture, whether we're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're reading it through the eyes of Christ. And it's also cruciform, and that word means that it's actually, we view all of Scripture through the eyes of the cross, because the cross is actually the supreme example of God's love for us. So we, are, we, we view things from a Christocentric and a cruciform perspective, and that's why the cross is at the very center of our compass, and it is meant to guide us as we seek to walk faithfully. Well, you'll also notice the compass has four points uh, that point in four, uh, four different directions. And they highlight four different aspects of our vision statement. And all of those are, as I said, displayed on the banners. And in case you didn't notice, uh, all of those statements are also two-word statements. We've kept it short. Two-word statements that include a, a verb. So there's action involved. Okay, it's, there's action involved. It has to have action. Uh, so it's worship, it's love, it's make disciples and it's grow young. And then it's not only action, but there's also a specific direction for that action. It's God, neighbors, disciples, and youth. We said worship God is the first and primary focal point of our compass. And that's why that if you look at the coloring, that's why that first leg of the compass points to the cross. And it's meant to reflect our priority of worshiping God, and it's something that we do and we encourage others to do both individually and corporately. And that's also part of why we gather together on a Sunday morning, because we worship God together. We do this together as an expression of our faith. So the primary and first focal point of our compass is on the cross and reflecting our priority in worshiping God. Then the second, uh, the second hand, outreach hand, of the compass reflects our desire to reach out and love our neighbors. So there's that hand that reaches out in love, both as individuals as, and as a church family, we reach out in love to our neighbors. And we know that our neighbor includes the person sitting next to us in the pew. We know that our neighbor includes the guy living across the street from us. We know that our neighbor includes uh, people that live in our vicinity and beyond. We know that it includes pretty much everyone that we ha have an ability to have an influence on or a relationship with. 
And so that second part of the compass reaches out to our neighbor. And again, and I'm sorry for the Spanish, but here's a Spanish saying, el papel aguanta lo que se le pone. You can put anything on paper. You can have a vision statement. It looks really nice. You can put it on the wall. You can put it in a filing cabinet. But actually, what are the tangible steps? So what does it look like to love our neighbor? And that's something that we have to keep asking ourselves and processing. Uh, how do we do that better? The third pointer of the compass, make disciples. And you'll notice that the point here is that when we talk about making disciples, we're, this reflects our desire to grow in our imitation of Christ, so it also points upward to God. We grow in maturity and discipleship, and we direct others to maturity in Christ. And, and that's something that you and I aren't met, meant to do in isolation. This is not an individualistic journey. This is something that we do as a family of faith. This is something where we come alongside each other, we support each other, we help each other, we motivate, encourage each other. And so that third pointer in the compass reflects our desire to make disciples. And really, it's somewhat similar and linked to the last one, which is our fourth outstretched hand. See, you have to pull that next generation along. You have to include them. You have to reach out your hand to that next generation. And so the fourth outstretched hand of the compass acknowledges our need to involve younger generations in meaningful ways, so that, as it says in fine print, so that there is no generation missing. It's interesting as, as I read the stats, especially Barna and others that talk about um, postmoderns or Gen X or what millennials, whatever you want to use, um, the prevailing uh, perspective is that they're not necessarily turning away from spirituality or rejecting Christ. What we're finding is that many are rejecting the church. And, and that begs the question, instead of getting defensive, it begs the question, why is that? Uh, what are we doing? Uh, and, and I think part of uh, the challenge for us is, is meaningful involvement. There's a generation that's offended by my words. As our scripture uh, reading this morning already highlighted for us, we have a responsibility to mentor the young, the generations that are coming after us. And yes, this certainly includes teaching and modeling, but it also includes involving them and mentoring them in ways that encourage participation and growth. Now, Deuteronomy 4, I, I want you, I know this is Moses, but I want you to insert yourself for a moment into this text. And, and I realize that many of us maybe, we didn't migrate here, we didn't get East and West Reserve, that was our grandparents or whatever, but let's just say that we're, we're, we're coming to the promised land. Okay? And notice what he says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Okay, so we didn't necessarily take possession, our forefathers did, or were given possession. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and these decrees, sorry, will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Hmm. Do, do, do all of these uh, folks that are coming 
uh, to, to participate in Canada with us, do, do they look at us and say we are a wise and understanding people? And then he says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember. Remember. So, so there's, Moses tells them, guys, you can't forget what God has done and you have to actually teach them. You have to teach this to your kids. You have to uh, make sure that they understand and part of that was the rocks, the, the altar of, of rocks of remembrance, so that they would not forget. It's been said that if young adults aren't joining and leading in your church, eventually your church will die out. Uh, I have sometimes said, I don't think that God called me to supervise the slow death of the church. I, I personally don't think so. Um, my folks, uh, when they were guest house hosts in El Paso, uh, they would they'd go and look for a church to, to attend. And they said, and I'll leave the denomination out, but they said they had gone to a couple of churches that easily sat 800. And there were 50 people sitting there on a Sunday morning singing hymns. And when those 50 are gone, I guess they could turn it into a casino. That's, that's a sad commentary of, of, of white-knuckling. This is, let's use the little German now, it's, almost, it's always been like this. And, 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 and I realize it's, it's sometimes tough. It's sometimes tough to let go. And, and I know that, you know, a bunch of years ago at a Christmas thing in, in Mexico, we ended up with other missionaries singing uh, German hymns at Christmas, and I, and I choked up because I remember from my childhood singing some of these, so they were kind of meaningful. But they're not meaningful to my kids because they actually don't know German and they don't, have never sung those hymns. Uh, so if you're my age, the chorus, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, is probably connects with when I was 16. Actually, that doesn't connect with my boys because they don't sing, we don't sing that anymore. You, you see what I'm saying? There's there's this movement, this transition um, that we are in, and we have to be willing to do that. A big obstacle that churches have in reaching the next generation is that we have a hard time letting go of certain traditions. We resist change. I know. It's hard to change. And to use that Shrek comment, change is good donkey. So there's three of you that caught that. I, I've, I actually was, um, I don't know if it's brave or stupid, but I, I stood up at a conference council and said that we're in a horse and buggy driving down the highway watching cars go by. Does, 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 that, does that characterize us? I, I have no desire to go to Winnipeg in a horse and buggy. It takes too long. And I don't think any of the rest of you actually want to do that. Change, change has good aspects to it. Culture is always changing. Sometimes what worked yesterday doesn't work today. Notice we don't have German hymnals in the pew. And I would say that unexamined and unsurrendered traditions and practices can get, way, get in the way of our church loving God and loving people. And so every generation needs to evaluate and consider changing some of them. 
I forgot because I'm over 65, so that's now going to be my excuse going forward, but I was going to bring a Coke bottle, a glass bottle, and a, and a can, an aluminum can, and a cup, and tell you that when I buy Coca-Cola, I actually don't care about the container it comes in. I buy it for the contents. I don't go to 7-Eleven and say, load me up. I need the container. I recognize that, but I actually don't care if it's a glass bottle or a metal can or a cup with a straw. You see, the contents is what's important. The container is useful, but it can change. And sometimes we, we cling to the container so desperately that we lose sight of the contents and we're unwilling to exchange the container for a different container. We must be willing to change just about anything container for the sake of the gospel contents. So, so we also have to learn to speak the language of the generations that are following us. How are we going to teach them if we can't speak the language? But I know, that's, this, is, uh, this is tough, you know, for an old guy like me to figure out how to, uh, you know, navigate the cell phone. But that's the language. We'll also, face, uh, we'll also need to face and process the reality that making church more comfortable for the next generation likely means that it will become less comfortable for those of us who are older. There's that, there's that, that potential tension. And, and that's actually the experience our forefathers had when we were young as well. It's always been that way. Every generation brings certain changes. It's always been that way. You and I, even those of us who are 65 and over, uh, brought changes from the generation previous. We will need to come to grips with whether we are willing to put the needs of the next generation ahead of our own for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul was, uh, was tremendous at discipling or mentoring others, Timothy, Titus, etc. And he knew that one day he'd have to pass on the baton. And they would have to, his life would come to an end and they would have to carry on the ministry. Building leaders through meaningful involvement is part of the process and a way to sustain the health of our church over the long term. Some of you can remember... If you've been here long enough, you can remember Lorraine Langlois as an usher walking down the aisle with little Jamie beside her. And I'm so glad that our church didn't get all hot and bothered about, oh, you can't have a kid taking the offering. Because that was potentially a process for involving him. I would be so pumped if every sound man had an apprentice and every Sunday school teacher had an apprentice and every music person had an apprentice, if, if, if we were just naturally, as part of the DNA of our church, would be drawing people in and, and involving them and, and pouring into others. 
Paul was very intentional about mentoring Timothy and Titus and others. He helped them to step up because he invested them in them and he empowered them. See, that empowering them is also important. It's called keychain leadership. What, what are the keys? What, what, is, what is the power you have? And how can you also uh, release some of that and encourage others? We have an obligation to include our young adults at the table so that our decisions take their perspectives into consideration and also then help us to adapt in healthy ways to our constantly changing culture. The container. And that doesn't just... Mentoring, we can't look at it only as we mentor the young because we have the answers and they need them. Sometimes they also bring a perspective of the culture that we need so that we can make adjustments to our culture. Notice some of the things that have changed recently. My boys don't know what a checkbook is. I think they do, but they haven't written out checks. I don't know if ever. So, so, so can we complain when the younger generation doesn't give offering if we haven't given them an opportunity to give offering in a way that they understand, i.e. direct deposit, um, e-transfers, etc.? And I, I happen to understand that there are young adults in our church that are now contributing to the work of the church because we've made it possible for them in the language that they speak. To me, that's an example of saying, no, it's got to be like this. Got to change, got to change. No generation stands independent of its predecessors or those that follow. Generations overlap. We need all of us at the table. We need each other. In fact, a church is healthiest when there are no generations missing. Larry Osborne said that we need to let young eagles fly. We need to let young eagles fly. Too often we welcome young eagles as long as they don't fly. We prefer to keep them in cages. Stay in the cage. And yet we need to open the cage, let them out, and allow them into our meetings and into the core of what we're doing. We need to give them meaningful involvement. And yes, I know it's tough, but being the first one on the bus doesn't mean you get to sit in the driver's seat forever. Hmm? God made young eagles to fly. If they can't fly in our church, they'll move on. So a question for you, do you see young eagles as young or as eagles? There's a big difference. Do you see young eagles as young or do you see them as eagles? There's a big difference. So here are my application questions before I I get Kurt uh, and Ethan to come up. And if you want to do that next time, you let me know. Who in our church do you see potential in? Who in our church do you see potential in? Number two, do you believe that this person can carry your legacy forward? Number three, what can we start doing now to get them ready to start leading later? Hmm? How can we already involve? 
Number four, how can you help them to be more fruitful than you are or were? Number five, who are you currently training and or recruiting to take your place? If not, why? And when will you start mentoring them? I mean, this almost sounds to you like your pastor is starting to walk out the door. Don't, don't read into this. Okay? I'm, I'm talking about us as a church here. And finally, what can we do together to embrace, support, include our youth and young adults in a meaningful way? Um, we don't want any generation missing. So that means finding ways for meaningful involvement. Uh, we have been blessed with children and youth and young adults. And we've also been blessed with an amazing uh, fountain of wisdom and experience. And, and, and we've, we've, I think we've got to find ways to put those together. Find ways to, to connect those in a healthy way. Let's pray and then I'll ask Kurt and Ethan to come up. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning for the way that you have blessed us as a church. Uh, you have blessed us in, in many ways, but you've also blessed us with children and youth and young adults. And this morning we recognize that we need to be intentional and proactive in, in involving and giving meaningful involvement uh, to our youth and young adults. Recognizing that, that, that they're not the church of tomorrow, they're already the church today. They're part of our family of faith. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, both as we teach and model and train and mentor in our homes, uh, but also as we seek to do that as a church. Uh, give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, gentlemen, I, I'm going to read the questions so you guys can answer. Look at that. Do you think we have uh, to let go of tradition too much? Sorry. Do you think we have let go of tradition too much that we no longer understand how important the meaning of many of the things actually are? Well, I don't think you necessarily have to let go. For that. You can, the same thing can happen in continuing to do it. Like, uh, yeah, that, Keeping, keeping the reasons for why you're doing the things you're doing is something you have to do intentionally regardless of whether you stop doing them or continue to do them. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Okay. <laughs> and and, and if, I'm, if I'm understanding you, Ethan, what you're suggesting is, is that we have to think through the, the reasons we do things and then think through whether we need to tweak how we do them. Is that right? That works. Okay. I was thinking that while I was on the bench sitting, that, that sometimes instead of tossing traditions, if we would put more meaning and, and, and renew the meaning of... Because most of the traditions that have started somewhere for a reason, and we've probably often... It's just wrote at this point. Okay. 
and it might need to be tossed or it might need to just be recultivated. Okay, so some things need to be tweaked, some things need to be tossed, and some things need to be affirmed. But we certainly need to think about why we're doing what we're doing and not do them just because we did them yesterday, we'll keep doing them without thinking through why, right? We could be a really cool church doing old things. Yeah. Okay, next one. Are we encouraging youth and young adults in their gifts and encouraging them to become involved in ministry areas that would suit these gifts? What if there doesn't seem to be a place for them in their gifting? Do we encourage them to try something they don't feel comfortable with? Could they be gifted but, but just haven't taken that first step? Okay, that's radio silence. <laughs> well, that's what we learned about adult Sunday school today, just practicing. We talked about silence and solitude in Sunday school. So Ethan decided to practice that right now. Right, right now, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's a tough question. So as to, re to narrow it down, what are we asking if... Um, should, should we sometimes just start doing something even though we don't feel like it's our, our natural gifting and, and maybe it, it will become or maybe we will discover things about ourselves to be... Well, and, and my argument, as we look at those two middle uh, points of the compass, my argument is that discipleship done best is actually discipleship in the trenches, meaning that it's not necessarily a book that you read or a class that you take, but as you step out and love your neighbor, it's in that context that you are growing as a disciple. So I see those two as being two sides of a coin. So I, I think that as you and I get involved and step out, uh, that's also where we will discover our gifting and discover our passion and calling, discover our shape, if you will. Okay, another one. Can other ethnic cultures be included in the next generation groups? We need to adapt to each group represented in our community and empower them to influence and lead. Let's get used to it. 100%. Uh, I think that we want, to, we want to be a church that is welcoming and embracing of every single culture that walks in the door. Yes, I, I, I believe that to be true. Church planting is a great way to involve the next generation. Flexibility and opportunity abound. It takes risk but provides a great return. Um, do we help people find a church that needs their gifting? So in other words, I think the question being asked here is, is do we, if somebody's gifting isn't needed here, do we encourage them? Yeah, I don't know that we want to be pushing people out the door. Uh, but I, 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 th I think part of the discovery process is where do you fit and how do you, how do you engage, right? And if they, they move on to go find, find a spot, definitely uh, don't want to rain on their parade, and we want to affirm for people in their gifting and in, and in their placement. I, I, I think one of the things that, that Mo has sometimes said is that he has worked with and trained uh, a whole lot of, uh, of worship leaders, 
uh, only to find them, and sometimes they're, they're single, and then they get married, and they move on to another church. So he has, he's had this school of training for a, a bunch of students that are now spread out all over the place. And although that doesn't feel good necessarily to always uh, lose somebody, at the same time, you've contributed to th- that larger uh, ministry uh, beyond this local church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of what I see. I, I'm wondering how often, if there's somebody who's gifted in something, if it's not that there isn't room for them, it's just that we're not creatively utilizing everybody's abilities. Well, and I think one could argue that that your church, if it's the Holy Spirit that gives the gifts, Ephesians chapter four, and your church will have all the gifts that your church needs to be a healthy church. If there are gifts missing or not being used that need to be there, either somebody's not being faithful, uh, or or something. But right, the Holy Spirit equips the church to be. F- healthy and fully involved, so the gifts are there uh, that you need. And I agree, I don't think that, that we're going to be in a place where we say, oh, we don't need these gifts, why don't you go elsewhere? Uh, certainly not. Well, if there's another snowflake like me that comes walking in, I'm out of here. <laughs> okay. So to conclude, before the praise band comes up, thank you, gentlemen. That's it? That's it, yep. Uh, This is our vision statement. This is kind of what we're trying to do together. Uh, If you have some great ideas about how to to push that vision forward, uh, do speak to the elders or to the pastoral staff, and let's keep working at making progress uh, in, in this area. Thanks.